Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here and welcome back to Hawks Insiders Podcasts. This is the last of the AGM files uh, and our special guest is the great man himself, Richie Vandenberg, football director of the club, former uh, captain of the football club, major culture shaper and one of the most important figures at the footy club uh, in the start of the Alistair Clarkson era and beyond really. It's great to have him here. He'll be with us in one moment. Firstly, regular co-hosts are back with me, Andrew Weiss. Hello. G'day, Ash. Good to be back on another episode of the AGM Files and really looking forward to uh, talking to one of the captains who was uh, instrumental at the club through probably the peak of my peak of my fandom, earlier fandom. So uh, really excited for this. Good to have you. And Danny Prince talking real football as opposed to world football that you've been totally obsessed by today. Danny, hello. Ash, it's good to be here, and I'm uh, I'm I'm fanboying a little bit. Uh, really excited to have a chat to Richie, and uh, and you know we might reminisce a little bit as well as touching on today the events of today. We'll see how we go. Richie Vandenberg, welcome to Hawks Insiders. No, thank you, Ash, and uh, great to be here. Good to have you with us. Um, we start these podcasts with the board members and aspiring board members by asking for their for the Hawthorne backstory. Now, we're not going to insult you by asking you your Hawthorne backstory. It is well known to everyone who listens to this podcast, but we're keen to know what got you back to the footy club. You, you retired in 2007. Um, you may have, uh, in hindsight, regretted that given what happened the following year, but what got you back involved in the footy club at board level or even before then? Why did you want to give, uh, decide you wanted to give back? Yeah, that's right. I retired in 07. I, I travelled around the world in 2008, took a year off with my now wife. She was my wife then and travelled around the world for a year. But then when I came back, um, Clarko asked me back down to be the runner. So I was the runner again for another couple of years. Uh, and then um, I went off and uh, have been um, developing businesses, I suppose. And that's the, the wine business that we spoke about just before the show. Uh, been developing that for many years. And uh, over that journey, uh, Richard Garvey reached out to me when, while he was president and asked if I'd be interested in coming back on the board. And uh, I took him up on that and um, uh, arrived back on the board at the end of 16, I think, for the 17 season. So, so and you started the board at 2016. 20, so, were you straight into the football portfolio on the board? Was that when you did join the board? Uh, no, Andy still had the footy portfolio. Uh, when did Andy, I think Andy left? Did Andy leave the end of seventeen? Um, I think he might have left yeah. seventeen, no, 16, oh, seven, yeah. eighteen. Actually, end of eighteen, I think. So I think I took over footy right. from nineteen onwards. Yeah. Right. Tell us about the the uh, football portfolio. Where, where does the footy director or the director in charge of footy start and end? And when does sort of the admin, when does say Rob McCartney and 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 the head coach? take over yes i think one of the it was one of the changes we implemented when i when i took over the the portfolio was previously you had the head of football was the chair of the football subcommittee Uh, and so just from a governance perspective we changed that so that the board um, member became the chair of that committee so since then i've basically been the chair and so you you don't get involved in the day-to-day uh, the day-to-day involvement of, of running the football department at all. Very much the responsibility is about working with both the football manager in Rob uh, and the coach now in Sam uh, and then 
that football subcommittee also has a list management committee, which independently does its work and then reports into footy sub. So that's around list management decisions. So you act as a as a second set of eyes and ears and governance over both of those areas of the football club. And then effectively what my role or what the football director role is, is to be the conduit between the football department and the board uh, and really to help board members understand uh, the intricacies of, of how football department works, um, the way players think, the way players feel, the relationships between um, coaches and players. And then also there's, there's also an element of we see a lot of commentary in the football world that happens out in the media and quite often what is being reported and what's happening inside the four walls can be quite different. So it's ensuring that when when there are questions around, okay, I've read this in the media, what's going on? It's like, no, no, here's what's here's how the guys are going. Here's, here's the issues. Uh, and just keeping everyone really well aware. So we have a very high level of transparency um, it, in the football department now. Rob McCartney has been excellent. A uh, lot of reviews, a lot of surveys, uh, ensuring that um, the welfare of the person um, the, the, as the player uh, is just as important as the, as the performance because we ultimately think if you're looking after the welfare of the player, you're going to end up with a, a much more high-performing individual and ultimately team. Sure. Now, Richie, we'll get back to um, some more football-related stuff uh, as we go. But as mentioned, Ash mentioned off the top, uh, we, we want to kick off on some of the election and AGM stuff and, and obviously get some of your thoughts given that you're a current director. Um, it's, it's something we haven't really been used to, such a sort of public, fiery um, election as we've seen at the moment, um, sometimes bordering at times on uh, a little bit nasty at the moment and, and being done in a very, very public forum. As a current director, what's your take on on the whole election situation at the moment? You're absolutely right, Andrew. In my time uh, of being involved in the football club, and I arrived at the end of 97, so just after all the merger talks had happened, I think in that period there might have been a slight challenge by Don in 2004, which he then withdrew. Same with uh, Jeff Lord in 11. So the first election that we've seen um, was last year that I, that I can recall. I'm, I might be, I might be wrong. There might've been some others there, but I, 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 I'm not aware of them. So yeah, very, very unusual territory. The, the footy club has typically had a, you know, it's, which I understand has been challenged now and we can discuss that, but uh, what they'd call a Hawthorne way, which is having a series of subcommittees, having uh, board members that uh, represent those uh, who chair those subcommittees and bringing people in into the football club through those subcommittees and then finding the right people to elevate into into board roles so you end up with a um with a skills based board and, and not so much a representative board so that's really been the way it's been done at Hawthorne over a long period of time but clearly through this election i don't think the issue with this um election has been um, around the board's ability to create a strategy and execute on it. I think it has been more around some of these governance and constitutional issues that uh, really have been the way it's been done for a long time. Well, it's a good segue, uh, Richie. I was going to 
Next question was going to be around the uh, incumbent board members that are up for election. Um, and obviously, there are two separate sort of election uh, categories. Obviously, uh, Peter Nankville is up for election for president. Uh, and then also Anne-Marie Pallitzer and uh, Katie Hudson are up for board nomination or board uh, election. Um, I just want to get your take as a, as a colleague of theirs on the, on the Hawthorne board, on their strengths and, and what they bring to the board. And I guess, you know, we've talked to them individually but from a it's always hard pumping up yourself uh from from somebody who works with them very closely um what they bring to the board that Hawthorne fans and members might not know about um yeah so I think um if you start off with capacity and capability I think I'll start with Peter from a capacity and capability you know he's very very highly qualified for the for the role not only as a Hawthorne person and not only from what he's done outside of, of the board in terms of a 35 year um, corporate legal career. Um, he's now had uh, six years as the vice president, so has a very good understanding of, of what's happening within the football club. And of course, being um, a vice president over that, over that period, um, he has uh, a very good understanding of uh, not only the issues, but we've been able to get to see Peter in the role of being the chair and chairing some meetings. And he's, I've said this before, he's got a fantastic ability of being able to ensure that everyone gets to get put their ideas into a pool of meaning and then, and then the best decisions can be made. So that's a real strength. He's a very humble man, Peter, um, which I think was part of the reasons part of one of the reasons that uh, initially he was he was not so keen to, to put his hand up because he is such a humble guy. There's no ego in Peter at all. Um, that is a little bit of a change from Jeff, <laughs> I, will, I will say. Um, I hope, hopefully Jeff doesn't mind me saying that, but uh, Peter just goes about his business. On the topic of um, certainly the two, the two women that, that I've worked with in both Katie and Anne-Marie, Maria Louie's come up through the Community Foundation, as you're aware, has put years and years of service in, but I haven't had a lot of, of dealings with her. Um, both Katie and Anne-Marie, once again, capacity, capability, culture, uh, excellent Hawthorne people, right back to the 60s with Katie. Uh, what was it? Proud, passionate and paid up, I think it was, for, for Anne-Marie. So, you know, from that perspective, I think that they've got all the, the credentials. I mean, Katie has, has been a real breath of fresh air in, in the in the board because of her innate understanding of how the investment world works. And now that we're going through this transition of moving, you know, big lumps of money out of um, gaming venues, um, where does that sit until you until we're able to use that and invest that into the Kennedy Community Centre, et cetera, using her corporate experience um, and knowledge around that has been has been very, very helpful for the for the fo football club. Um, She's quite an inspiring person to work to work beside, to be honest. Uh, and and Anne Marie, Anne Marie, everyone, I think everyone in Hawthorne knows Anne Marie. She's just been around forever. Um, I remember her being around the club from from when I was a when I was a, a player, and she's still there. Um, she helps out medical history tradition, uh, and I think you know once again, like the football director role, doesn't get involved in day to day medicals at all. But what she certainly does is helps the board, those of us who don't have a great medical understanding, certainly around things like concussion. You know what what does this really mean, Anne Marie? Put this in layman's terms for us, so we can better understand how that works, for example. I think that's um, one of her real strengths as well, her ability to, to um, put some really technical issues into layman's terms. Just with that, Richie, and um, we do have a few hard questions to ask, I guess, in terms of the diversity there and 
um, the the need for diversity on the board, uh, and we've got three women up um, for roles currently. Um, there've been questions about the process um, in the decision to extend your tenure on the board and have um, the other two female board members who are up for re-election have to go through that process. Are you able to shed any light on that process and, and how that unfolded in terms of that as a decision of the board? Yeah, I think um, I think Anne-Marie might have touched on it. Um, when when we were all made aware of that, um, I, I like Katie and Anne-Marie, I think, was, was first put my hand up to say more than happy, more than happy to go through through with the election. We've got to remember at this point, we didn't know if there was going to be an election or not. So um, we, we, I wasn't even really looking at it from that perspective. But um, the view was, was that we've just put a new football coach in, of which I was a, a big part of. We've just put a new football manager in, of which I was a big part of. Um, they're going to require some stability. Um, so that made sense for the football director um, to, to, to roll over for an extra year. Um, but with that said, Andrew, um, that particular board meeting, um, I, I actually wasn't present, um, but my views were very well known that I was more than happy to go up um, and they made the decision um, to, to roll me over for, for a number of reasons, but certainly from from what was communicated back to me when I put my hand up was we thought that stability around the football department, given we had a whole new football department brought in, was very important. One of the uh, one of the big decisions, I guess, of the board in the last couple of years was uh, moving on of Alistair Clarkson. Um, and I believe you're fairly close to, to Clarko, um, have, have a very good relationship. Um, how was that, I guess, the decision-making process of that decision, which when you know, you've got an absolute legend of the game, let alone the Hawthorne Footy Club, uh, being moved on. Um, how has that decision um, gone about or come to? And do you sort of look back on reflection and think possibly there was something we could have done a little bit differently around sort of the murkiness of how it all played out? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we, were, we were really well prepared for... Um, the decisions were going to need to be made probably that year. Um, it's it's just the way coaching contracts and certainly with with Alistair that these things roll out. I'd had a number of conversations with with Clarko, has had the CEO and uh, Justin and even Jeff around what what um, what he wanted to do, and he was instigating a, a, some of these conversations. I, I vividly recall a phone call he made to me about wanting to open up a conversation back in October twenty must be 2020 now, is it? Um, what are we at, 2020? Was that the October before? Um, and then, yeah, so that sort of started to to really sow some seeds. It, it was various various issues around um, the football department, as you're probably well aware with with Wrighty and, and, and him, him deciding to move on. And uh, could we have done it better? Um, oh, you could always look back in hindsight and suggest yes. Um, was it done with, with the right intentions and a pure motive absolutely uh sam was already coaching box hill as as we looked at it sam would continue to coach box hill clarko would continue to do what he was doing uh and so then that quickly became a a, a um a, what was the term everyone was using like a uh, a handover 
the succession um, plan succession that quickly became a succession plan um yep. when really it was it was operating side by side now you could argue that we were naive to think that it wasn't going to be anything other than that but it was done with, with pure intention and, and ultimately um Clarko decided that he, he didn't want to do that it just it just was a bit murky in, in him being able to get to that decision um and therefore all of us really getting there but we got there in the end um but yeah, it was it was messy, and it's been it's been a really challenging time both through it and afterwards for all of us who were involved in it, um, including including Clarko and Karen, and his family as well. It's, it hasn't been easy for anybody. Or, or, or Sam, you know, Sam and Lindell, they've been dragged into it. It's been been really tough. Did Clarko leave the club on good terms in, at the end of the day? Oh, I think at the moment, Ashley, it'd be hard to argue that. Um, you know some of the some of the way that it unfolded. Um, I think a bit of water needs to probably go under the bridge there. Um, I think we all acknowledge that. I think Alistair would acknowledge that. Um, but you know, like all these things, um, time heals. You've got three years worth of reunions um, coming up, so it'd be, be shame if he's not there. So. Would like to think that uh, that as they're celebrated now, that, uh, that, that the doors can be opened and some fences mended, so that he can uh, he can be part of those. No, absolutely, absolutely, Ashley. I don't think anyone argues with that. Um, that that is as as it is with anyone who leaves a football club. Um, and and you know we we see, I suppose, as an ex-player, you get to see a lot of players over the journey for whatever reason. Doesn't matter who the board is, who the president is, who the coach is, who the football. To, who the list manager is, there's always going to be people leaving a football club upset with the football club for whatever reason. Very few people get to choose the way in which they leave football clubs. It's very difficult to do it that way because I think we do at times forget that it is an elite high-performance environment and, it, and it's all about operating at an elite level. Now, sometimes, which is what we all, all are trying to ensure doesn't happen, sometimes... You know the the ultimate elite outcome um, is um, comes at the expense of the individual, um, but that's just some of the reality of of what we're dealing with, unfortunately. There's an observation of mine is that too many Hawthorne greats have left the club uh, in uh, not the best circumstances. I mean, look at how Geelong's transitions out its champions compared to Hawthorne. I think. It's just it's disappointing that you know so many have ended up at other clubs. You know, it, it's tricky because on one hand, Hawthorne had transitions playing list. There's no question about that, and probably could have done it earlier. But do you look at the number of Hawthorne people who end up going elsewhere, and some not back in the fold? Supporters are paranoid that the Hodge kids aren't going to play for Hawthorne. So, as as one example, I don't know. Could the club done the transitioning out of some of the champions better? Well, but yeah, once I mean, actually. In hindsight, you could argue that, but that's really a question for for Alistair, Alistair and yeah. and, um, and Graham Wright, two highly revered people. They were they were responsible for that. They were responsible for building um, much of that list, and then also responsible for trying to regenerate and move it on. And we all understand that coming off the back of 2015, uh, Clarko wanted to try and continue to hold the club up. And you know, you talk about Geelong now, but let's not forget Geelong back around 2007 to 2010 when they got rid of Stevie J and Kelly and Stokes um, and all these guys that that they went through a period where that they got rid of a lot of players that went on and played a lot of football at other clubs now they, it looks like they've learned from that 
because they broke all see all the barriers this year in terms of the age um, profile of their list. So it looks like they've learned from that. Um, hopefully, uh, what we we learned something from from that experience as well. Because I agree with you. You look back now at hindsight, and and the idea of moving on the cultural um, people within your football club, um, like Hodge and Lewis Mitchell. Uh, can have a, a more of a significant impact than people would like to, to believe at the time. So we don't know the results of, of the election yet. We've, we've run a poll on our Hawks insiders that strongly suggests that there's there's appetite for change, which could mean there could be a new president and some new board members. But I, I suspect that's a bit of an outlier. I think the actual results are going to be a lot tighter than what our poll indicates. But if there is change, um, how prepared are you to just day after the results are out at the AGM, just walk up to Andy Gowers or, or James Bellino or Ed Sill, shake the hands and say, right, we're going to work together. No questions asked. We're going to get on with the, uh, for the better in the footy club. Or, or, or do you have some concerns working with those people going forward? No, I think the first thing that, that happens, Ashley, is a lot's been said um, and, and a, lot, a lot of things have been said that have hurt, um, hurt a lot of people. Um, hurt board members, staff members, coaching individuals, etc. Uh, and it's been, as you said earlier, it's been, uh, you know, it's been people have been on the tack, um, and and that's probably not something we're we're used to. So the first thing is, is everyone's got to sit down, and just have a really good conversation, start having some conversations, get some dialogue going, some constructive dialogue around where we are, why why certain things were said, understand the context of why people are feeling the way they're feeling. Um, what the comments made, what the responses made were all about. Um, that's where it's got to start. It, it's not a matter of just rolling up, putting your hand out and saying, well, we, we respect one another. That's not how football clubs work. Fo you know, in football clubs, respect is earned. Nothing is ever given. Um, and, and anything that is given is, is a sign of um, probably a, a, of a poor culture. How difficult is it then? And how much does it hurt seeing this so publicly? You know, having... You've got brown and gold in your veins. Seeing this so publicly um, as a board member, I imagine there's X amount of stuff that you hear or read that that you say, well, that's just not right or that's just misinformed, but not necessarily just being able to get on the front foot and, and defend some of that stuff in such a, a public forum. How difficult has that been for you and other members of the board, the current board, do you think? Yeah, it's been really challenging, Andrew. I've, I've made the comment that I think through this process um, and we're all evolving as people, right? I think I've seen, um, you know, on, on self-reflection, I've seen um, the worst version of myself during this period and also the best version of, of, of myself. So what that tells you is it has been quite an emotional roller coaster, And I'm not, I'm not even directly involved in this uh, in, in, in this vote. Um, however, I really feel for the people that are and, and some of the things that are said um, said about them because I know that uh, a lot of it either is, is just misguided or it goes right to the heart of who some people are. Um, you know, that's that's the challenge that, that I have with it. Um, when, I, and I know there's a lot of talk around the democracy of football clubs and that's a conversation that absolutely the football club now looks like it really needs to have. And there's some constitutional stuff there will have to be addressed and which whoever wins is going to have to address that. Um, but I don't think once again, that um, the board operating the way that it has, has necessarily done anything. I don't know that we have other than strengthened the process, done anything different to any other 
particular year. Um, it's just that there's some issues that have surfaced and, uh, and that's what's created this really quite a volatile, yeah, quite a volatile environment. But it's, if you think about it, it's really the only way it can happen. I mean, how do people get their names out there? How, how do people promote themselves? How do you win votes? Um, it turns into a campaign as opposed to, as opposed to being able to just have constructive dialogue with the members. Richie, if, um, if Peter does uh, retain the presidency, uh, we believe that you will um, be put into the vice president position. Would you keep the um, footy portfolio should that happen or will that get moved on to somebody else? No, I think, I think it's, it is very helpful to have um, a footballer in the football portfolio. Um, absolutely. So, no, I, I think I'd be able to manage, manage those two roles. Um, absolutely. I don't manage the AFL women's just because it's, it's just too much to try and manage. And, and equally, last year was a big effort. You probably heard about how the season was moved forward and the amount of work that was required to get that going. So Katie Hudson, she manages the AFL women's and we, we, we talk about how that's going. Um, but in, in the longer term, that would be another portfolio that I think would benefit from a, a football type person um, in the longer term. Um, one thing that's been common is like both sides have been able to, that hasn't been an issue, Richie, is, is the football side of things. And I think to the credit that whatever you guys have been uh, fighting over, it's not the football department of the club. So that's a credit to you, I guess, as a football director, that it's been ring-fenced and that everybody's been lock-stop-lock-stop in support of, of what Richie's done, of what, what Sam's done with the men's program, what Beck's done with the footy program with Rob overseeing it. You must be pleased that that's at least one area that nobody's scrobbling about and that the decisions that have been made and the progress that's been shown are the right ones. Yeah, I'll, yeah, you're right, Ashley. But what, I'm under no illusion that one of the catalysts for a lot of this was probably the moving on of Clarkson. So that is a little bit of a weight that you wear on your shoulders because you, you just really like people to to fully understand that that was a tough decision to make and it was the right one. And with the execution of it, it could have been better. So let I'll just put that out there to start with. But then once you move on and say, right, what we had to do was get a new coach, a new football manager. And then we wanted to go, we've got, we've got a very clear strategy in, in the football department, probably the most aligned one we've had since I've, I've been um, involved in the club. And the reason for that was even towards Clark's and, and, and uh, Riley's end was there, there started to be a diversion on where we thought the list was at and where it could go, right? So that's what started to create some issues around that. So we've got everyone back absolutely aligned on which way we want to go. Rob's come in and he's proving himself to be an amazing modern day football manager, the way he manages our group. Uh, absolute testament to that is we've just received back surveys from the AFLPA um, around culture within your football um, department. And this is all coming from a player survey. Um, all bar one of our players um, completed the survey, which was above, well above the average. We scored well above the AFL average on average in terms of culture and just about um, above in every element, bar maybe one or two, but you know, would have been right on average. And there's been significant growth from 21 to 22. So from that perspective, you take, 
you take some comfort that we're getting the culture right. Then you go to high performance. You say, what are the areas we need to improve? We wanted to really improve our high performance um, management area. So we've got Peter Burgin uh, from, from Richmond. Uh, we also looked at uh, recruiting. We needed to strengthen recruiting. So we've, we've, we've brought in uh, additional resources there, beefing up our analytics. So it's been a, it's been a whole of department um, overhaul effectively. And that's what's, that's what's resulted in everyone having an opportunity now to really dig in deep. Um, it's a perfect segue, uh, Richie, in, I, I want to give, get our, uh, our fans and our listeners a bit of an understanding of, um, I guess what the expectations are and if the board sets expectations around wins and losses for a group that we have at the moment, or is it purely around wanting to see, I guess, exponential growth from, from that group? Um, and, and I guess, how is that set out? Is that um, done through collaboration with uh, Rob McCartney and, and Sam Mitchell and, and so on? Or um, how does that process work? Yeah, Rossi Lyons got a, a fantastic saying that I love is let the cobblers cobble. Um, and I, I think a big part of this is it's very difficult for boards to be able to set a football direction. I, I think it's really challenging because you don't really understand or, or, or most of the, the board members aren't close enough to the day-to-day to really understand the nuances that, that are happening within that, that particular list or group. All of the information is shared. However, sometimes having a little bit of information and using that little bit of information to have, have a serious opinion can be more damaging than it can be helpful. But that's not to say that people's views are not, are not taken into account. They absolutely are. So what we've done is we're not focused on wins or losses. There's absolutely no ceiling. You've probably heard this language used before. There's absolutely no ceiling on what, we, on what can be achieved. The players think anything can be achieved, and that's exactly the way we want it to be because they've got an absolute inner belief in what it is they're trying to do. There's just a, some realities around how many games have been played, what age we are, all of those sorts of things would say that the, the percentage chance of being able to execute on, on where they would like to be versus where the reality of what some of the data suggests they can get to be, there can be, there can be a gap. And so just making them aware of that, that's not to, to slow them down in any way, shape or form, but just understand that when you turn up for that first game um, in, in March this year and you get punched on the nose, there's the reality of how hard this season is going to be. It's got, you know, and, and let's face up to that reality and have everyone absolutely ready, uh, ready to do that. And you've been a you've been an, a player, uh, I guess, with a group in a similar sort of situation as I think our playing list heads into uh, in 2023. What what's it like as a player and as a leader um, at at a, at a group at that stage of their development? Um, I, I'd I'd expect from the outside looking in, and most Hawthorne supporters look at this season as you know they're realistic, but they're also excited about seeing the Will Days, the um, you know the Josh Wards, the Connor McDonalds, and also some of the new guys like Lloyd Meek and Cooper Stevens come in and try to make an impact. Yeah, so I will I will just draw a little parallel, right? If you go right back to two thousand and four. Um, when I became the captain, that was off the back of the, you know, Shane Crawford era. He was the captain for a long time, absolute champion of the club, all of those things. Um, and then I took over as the captain and was, was, was very different. Um, I nowhere near as good a player as Crawford, but had a, a slightly different philosophy. And that was all about just flattening out the, the leadership, right? 
Um, there, there were there was concerns back then that there wasn't a lot of depth of leadership, and it's like, okay, well, let's let's spread it out and let's see who can emerge, create the space for people to grow into it. And out of that came Sam Mitchell and Luke Hodge. So last year, uh, I think you guys would be aware of this. We had um, a captain, uh, well, a captain and who who ended up injured, but and flat, no no effective vice captains. And then the idea was, let's see who starts to evolve. So we think our leadership journey through that is starting to see a lot of these guys evolve from a leadership perspective. And then that becomes a very exciting environment. So I think the environment that we're seeing now is, is quite exciting because you've got a lot of blokes that have seen, hey, hang on, I can have a little bit of confidence here to be a leader within this group. I feel like it's <clears throat> I feel like it's me that comes back to some of the negative issues then because you know that's some of the excitement stuff around um, culture within the group and it, it it's very buoyant to hear you talk about the um, the survey and and being above you know average in terms of the AFL from our players in terms of the culture at the club um, but I just want to talk about the cultural review and and I guess. Um, there's a couple of elements to it. Um, one, uh, how you're feeling about how the whole thing's been handled as a director, but also um, you came through as a player at a time where there was, especially from an Indigenous point of view, cultural change at the club that we were certainly becoming proud of. Um, how do you separate what you saw as a player throughout your time playing to you know the decade that we're talking about that this cultural review's been undertaken to in your footy department role and everything we've talked about with Sam and and Beck and trying to set up the culture of the club now, separating all of those things and combining that together with your role as a director. Yeah, I think um, so. If you go back to the playing days. Um, had great relationships with a lot of the guy, a lot of the guys we played with. I mean, Chance and I are still good friends. Not that I get to see him much. He's he's in he's in Perth, but um, we played golf together. He's just a ripping guy, um, Mark Williams. And then, funnily enough, Cyril Rioli came right towards, and Buddy Franklin came right towards the end of my career. So you, you you've got that relationship with with those guys. Um, the 10-year the period that, that's been spoken of from 08 to 16, I mean, I, I don't think anyone feels any differently in what was presented to the board. I think everyone has had the same reaction to it. My biggest concern with that, and it's been the board's concern, the biggest concern with that is that the accused just have not had an opportunity to have their voices heard. And, and that's an injustice. Um, it's, it's grossly unfair um, on, on the three, on the three um, men. Uh, and what I would just like to hear is, is, is through this investigation is that everyone gets their chance to have their say and then the right outcomes are reached. Yeah, I, I mentioned the other day, uh, talking to Henry, but I'll sort of post that question to you. Why were there no alarm bells raised, or red flags raised as the as Phil Egan and his people were doing their interviews? Why weren't any alarms raised then that hang on, we need to broaden the we need to broaden the investigation because some serious allegations are being made against some very 
uh, distinguished people of the football club. So you, you've used the language investigation there, Ashley, but um, at no stage was it intended to be an investigation. Um, so let's be really clear on that because the, 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 the mandate of an investigation is very different to the mandate of going and getting a series of interviews to understand if there are any issues with, with our First Nations players, as it would be if you went yeah. and, and interviewed any players for that matter. That it, you don't start off as an investigation. <laughs> In fact... But no, yeah, no, good call, but still, okay, as the conversations were taking place then, while there yeah. were no red flags raised. It, it's a good point. The best person to ask would be Ian Silk. Ian Silk chaired, um, or he was in in uh, in control of that uh, relationship with Phil Egan through that process. But my understanding is is that this all came as a significant surprise even to Ian right up until the point that it landed on our on our desk. So once it landed on our desk, which was on that Wednesday night, and we met the next day, um, the clock was ticking. So the idea was um, you've got obviously, and um, I hope it's okay to mention, you got, you know, Clarkson's name mentioned, which you just caught everyone off off guard, absolutely by surprise. And we're like, oh, how's this going to go down? <laughs> With everything that's going on, um, what do we do here? Uh, then there was the issues around the AFL policies. Let's, um, let's get this straight into uh, Andrew Dillon. And then the process of the AFL integrity unit, which operates to the highest levels of what we were led to believe, and we still do believe, trust in that, the highest levels of confidentiality. Um, but we can't help what happened, Russell. Let's not forget, we can't help what happened um, in the sense of the complainants took the story to Russell Jackson, who ran it in the media. What do we do? How much damage control have you had to do? I imagine all the board members different stakeholders that you, uh, you know, that you deal with, how much damage control, in, as you, you knew something was about to break, did you get proactive and ring sponsors and get the players involved and staff and say something bad, something big's going to break, this is what's going down? How much work did it take those, those first few days as the story, as the story was, uh, came out of the open just before the grand final? Yeah, the topic of players is a really good one. So before we go any further, you talk about um, the cultural safety review and the period that it was. Let, let's be really clear that our current day players feel enormously supported by the football club. There is from Sean Burgoyne, Jarman Impey, Tyler Brockman, Chad Wingard will all say to you that they are extremely happy with with the treatment they get. So we're not talking about the current the current period. However, there is a a high degree of communication happening with those guys. There's been a number of the number of initiatives put in place back from 2016, 2017, through starting to implement RAP plans and the like. Um, so they've been in place for a long period of time, um, and and the, the benefits of that we're now seeing, you know, in, in attracting someone like a Carl Aim onto the club. But when the story broke, which I think was um, was around the 21st, so it was a week a week or so. It was a week later. Um, there was a ring around apparently on the Monday night from, from Russell alerting people to the fact that this was about to break. It all happened within 24 to 48 hours. So yeah, then the club's in absolute damage control and, and, and everything that you mentioned was uh, needed to be dealt with. And I think from what I can understand, um, what I understand to be uh, the case is that the, the, the team, Justin and his team did a very good job of, of managing a lot of those um, concerns. 
and there seems to be little fallout from sponsors. I mean, there's not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I'm sure the, the journalists covered the story, the first thing they would have done was call Tasmania and all the other various sponsors of the club and said, are you satisfied? Are you, you considering your support of the club? No one's dropped their support of the club. So I imagine uh, you're able to explain uh, more than satisfactorily to key stakeholders uh, what was going on at the footy club. Yeah, so one of the things that we've been trying to do for for some time now is we want to try and be a leader in this space. <laughs> how can we? How can we as a football club? I think the AFL is a leader in, in in Indigenous affairs. Full stop. The opportunity that is provided to to our First Nations players, both from a opportunity perspective, from a financial perspective, from a cultural standing perspective, I think is enormous. It brings it brings um, it brings them out into brings all of these issues out out into the open but but with that comes a great deal of responsibility which which we're all feeling right now so i think um from that perspective even when you're talking to to prospective sponsors it's like let's look at this as a, or not prospective or sponsors let's look at this as an opportunity of how can we be leaders in this space and, and ensure that these Look, you can't talk about these things that have happened because nothing's actually been proven yet. So we've just got to be careful about the language we use. But, you know, how can we be better and how can we be leaders in this space is really all we can be talking to or addressing at this stage. Richie, you've, um, over your time as a player, you spent time training at Glen Ferry and had the facilities there. Um, Waverley, free the boutique Waverley facilities uh, that we managed to to to, um, to have for, for the playing group. How important um, is everything that's taking place with the Kennedy Community Centre and Dingley? And how frustrating, I mean, certain aspects of the fan base have been frustrated, especially initially, hoping our women's team would start out there with, with the with the centre being open, how frustrating has it been for the board um, with the delays and, and how important is it for the future of the footy club? Yeah, I mean, the delays have been... COVID took basically taken three years away from us. So that's um, that's meant that we've been unable to to get the women's team in there at the right time. But now that... Uh, and then, then we've had all the construction issues over the last 12 months... Uh, funding, getting all the funding and everything in place, etc. However, now we will have so the women will have to play one more season uh, at various grounds as they did this year, and then for their next season, which will be in 2024, uh, they'll be in. So they've got one more season as it is, and then they'll be in. Uh, it, look, it's going to be state of the art. I, I think a lot's been said. Um, I, I think the members are now really starting to understand the gravity of the of the project in a hundred million dollar project on sixty six acres of land, plenty of room to grow. It, it'll be a destination um, not only for um, Hawthorne players, coaches, administration, for the members, but then also for the local community. And that's the way the whole thing's being designed. It's being designed so that it can grow. Uh, as we learned with Waverley, was state of the art. 15 years ago and now it's miles behind so this place when it gets built in 15 years time will probably be behind the times but we've got the capacity and the scope there because of the size of the land to be able to build on that and then you go again so you, you, you hopefully once we get ourselves settled there we don't have to move again and they talk you know the talk is 100 years but it's a it's a very special piece of land it's required a lot of work as you're probably well aware um but uh now finally we're getting started and i can tell you the players are very excited about it. They're all starting to move Bayside already. 
so uh, that's uh, and that's great for lifestyle as well because they get to spend more time um, in and out of the uh, the cold water, which we all know players do a lot. And then just one more further to that, I think sort of going back to engagement with fans as a result of the move, are, are there plans or discussions in place in terms of protecting the heritage of Waverley, um, the heritage of Glen Ferry still um, as part of the history of the club? Yes, it's exciting looking forward at the opportunities at Dingley, but you know, protecting the, the history that comes with those two venues specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Critical part of what we're trying to do. You, you're probably all well aware of the issues at, at Glen Ferry with the concrete cancer in the stand, and that's made it very difficult there for both the council and us. But once again, it's not something that we own. Um, that's council, whereas Waverley, Waverley we do, and, and KCC we will. So, yeah, I think it's very important to maintain that piece of history um, running through the running through the club for sure. Um, I want to surprise my co-host uh, with one last question. We were going to dwell back in the past, but there's one game we have to ask you about because Andrew here has done a PhD in the comeback game against St Kilda in 1999. Hey. <laughs> just walk us through that day, Barry, just to make Andrew's yeah, uh, just. Walk us through that one game, and then we'll finish up after that. Yeah, <laughs> you know the funny thing is, I, I I remember the game. I remember being out at Waverley. I remember it, like we were down by sixty two or sixty three points in the second quarter. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I reckon, <laughs> I reckon Nick Holland and Daniel Harford started to take the game by the scruff of its neck. Um, and then we just slowly started grinding back, and then we got more and more confidence. And before you knew it, we'd pinched the game. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a euphoric day. I mean, my my recollection of it <clears throat> in any more detail than that um, is is not too good, I'm afraid. But I, I do still re recall the game. It was quite, and I think it was the record for a long time. But it's it's since been beaten a couple of times. One of these days, we're going to do a six part podcast on uh, on the on that game because Andrew's got every kick. Uh, every kick mark handball incident uh, recited to memory. So we'll, uh, you'll have to listen to that to refresh your memory. Richie, it's been wonderful chatting to you. We could talk to you for hours, but uh, we're mindful that uh, you, you're, you're in a state on work and uh, we've taken up plenty of your time. Um, just to, one thing to finish um, is, are you glad in a couple of weeks, I know you, that some conversations may have to take place when it's all done, but you're sort of glad the, the finish line of all this is in sight? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, and whatever decisions whatever the outcome is, and then whatever decisions are made going forward, as long as everyone feels like they've been able to have their say and we can avoid in future, hopefully, having to have these things play out in public. It's not to say that we don't want people to feel that they've got an ability to be able to have a say in, in the football club. Absolutely, we do. I think we'd all just prefer that it doesn't get played out in the public arena. So, yeah, looking forward to it, Ashley. <laughs> We've got one last question for you. Danny's going to ask. Danny's got one last question for you. Do I? Yes, you do. <laughs> Look okay. at your WhatsApp. <laughs> um, so, um, so, Richie, we were just discussing before you came on, um, doing a bit of a setup um, for the meeting. Um, what would you recommend from a at Christmas time? We got the the roast in the oven. The, it's a lamb roast in the oven. What what sort of what sort of wine are we pairing with it, mate? <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, 
Um, am I going to get myself in trouble for this? Am I? Uh, you, you've got to have a Vandenberg Shiraz, of course. Absolutely. No. Um, as, you, as you probably know, how I ended up in the wine industry was um, I, my best mate developed a passion for collecting wine. So I started collecting wine. Uh, and uh, we've since become um, big proponents of, of great Australian Shiraz and Cabernet. So if you can find any great Australian Shiraz and Cabernets on Christmas Day, you can't go wrong. But one other one that I think is is special for Christmas Day is a, is a sparkling Shiraz. Um, Sepelt, funnily enough, do a great... Uh, St. Peter's do a great sparkling Shiraz. So once you've once you've drank all your hidden seas, then you can uh, have a glass of Sepel. <laughs> well, that is a very good night to finish on. And uh, I think we, <laughs> no matter whether we celebrate Christmas or not, we're going to take you up on that. Richie, it's been fantastic for us to have you on the uh, on the podcast and really appreciate you reaching out to come speak to us because it was really important, I think, at this time, the club's... Uh, affairs to, to hear your voice it's been so critical what you're doing is so critical so critically important to the club so it's been great for us to chat to you um we don't wish you the best of luck because you're not up for uh election at the moment but you've got a lot on your plate going forward so we wish you the best of luck for that thanks for your time for joining us on the hawks insiders and uh, have a great christmas you too guys good on you thank you cheers that was richie vandenberg that's been the hawks insiders uh AGM Files, that brings those to a close. Um, and we'll be have uh, don't forget our spaces, the regular spaces Thursday night. Hopefully, we have Ollie Hanrahan on and also our Danny absolute draft preview as well, the last spaces before the draft. So don't miss out on that. Uh, thank you to everybody to support Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for the best online Hawthorne content there is going around. Andrew, thank you. Thank you very much, Ash. And for the surprise of getting the uh, comeback game into another pod, uh, I think that's about seven pods that we've done together where we've managed to get that game in. So very, very long appreciative. Way to go. That must mean we've got another 15 to go because a lot of players <laughs> you haven't spoken to yet about that day. Danny, thank you. Thanks, Ash. It was uh, good to be thrown under the bus at the end there too. And uh, no, what really, really excited. Um, I was, I was, uh, on the edge of my seat, too busy listening to what Richie had to say to check my WhatsApp messages. So um, that says all you need to know about uh, about the great man and how captivating he can be. It was a great chat, and let's hope that you know he continues to play a key role in the club, irrespective of what happens going forward. Because I think they need him absolutely at the moment. So he's a he's a sensible voice of reason around the footy club, uh, and I'm sure it'll all work out for the best. Thanks everyone for listening to Hawks Insiders. We will talk to you again next time.